Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. But hey, for the past three weeks now, as I referenced earlier, we've been as a church committing to grow our hearts like that of Jesus, closer to the compassion that he showed this world. And we're titling this series, Who Cares? Growing a Heart Like Christ with the implication that we care, that God cares for our world. And so in week one, we talked about the fact that God cares for the lostness in our world. God cares for the people that don't know him. And we saw that through three parables, the lost coin, the sheep, and the lost son, and and how God not only wants sinners, people who don't know him, to come back to him, he actually pursues them. He seeks them out, and he finds them. It's not that the differentiation isn't between good and bad, it's between lost and found. In week two, we wanted to grow our hearts like that of Jesus closer to the least of these. And we read from Matthew 25, right? And it was because it's an evidence of the heart of Christ within us. And because a heart for the least of these, the poor and marginalized, is evidence of the heart of Jesus within us. In week three, we took that a step further and we said it's identified in compassion, action, Because compassion without action, well, that's just sympathy. And we're not called to just have sympathy on on the poor and and marginalized on the least of these. We're called to have compassion. And well, compassion is identified with action. And now it's easy to talk about action, isn't it? It's harder to actually do it. But there's nobody in my life who showed me more visibly and tangibly what compassion and action in compassion was that my childhood hero, I called him my Abuelo Tito. He's right up there. That was actually me when I was about five years old. And so that I was, I was upset one day at his house and I was on a bar stool and I, I guess I just didn't like, I don't know, maybe it was the food. I can't remember, obviously. And I, I was upset and I pushed myself off the bar stool and I broke my arm. So <laughs> there it is. And that's his, uh, that's one of the other grandkids who's now in her 20s. But my, uh, my abuelo Tito, my grandpa Tito, he wasn't actually my biological grandfather. Um, he was the pastor of my childhood church. Um, and at this church, I, um, it's where I came to know the Lord at a young age. And um, I would often spend, you know, hours and days on end at his house. I would sleep over. And he became a grandpa to me. I was practically adopted. I never met any of my biological grandfathers. Um, they had all passed before I was born. But he became my grandpa. And now one thing about him, he was an Argentinian man. And what do Argentinians love? They love to eat meat. And so he loved going to the Knife Steakhouse in Miami. Anybody, anybody know the Knife Steakhouse? Well, I challenge you, go to the Knife Steakhouse. It's like the Argentinian version of Texas to Brazil. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And they knew him there, so they'd often give him lots of discounts. Um, and he would take me there on occasion, and we would have fun conversations. And I must have been a lot, around 11 or 12 in this particular instance that I'm going to share. And he looked at me one day, and he said, hey, you know, Jose, I think, actually, I don't think, he said, I feel the Lord is impressing in my heart that you're going to be a pastor someday. He said that when I was about 11 or 12. And I, I kind of looked at him and I said, I don't know what's going on. Can I have another ribeye? <laughs> you know? You know? And so years later, here I am, 
right? And I, I went to his biological grandkids, whom one of those is her, and it's three of them. And I, I was at their home one day and I said, can you believe that this prophecy that he said that I was going to become a pastor came true? They looked at me and they kind of sighed. They said, Jose, Abuelo Tito told that to all three of us. He just got lucky with you. <laughs> Oh my goodness, you know, I thought I, I really, you know, I still think the world of him, you know, even that, you know, hey, uh, what is it, a 25% average? Look at that. Anyways, he's with the Lord now. Um, gosh, I miss him. But there's something different about my abuelo Tito, uh, that he was um, a pastor who knew how to have compassion. Actually, he told me a pastor needs to smell like sheep, he said. That was his phrase. Un pastor tiene que oler a oveja. A pastor needs to smell like his sheep, he would say. And, and he identified that really through compassion in extraordinary ways. I mean, and really to, to immigrant families from uh, particularly South America where he was from. Um, and I mean, literally, I'm not kidding. He would have entire families at his house just staying for weeks or days on end um, because they had just arrived and they needed a place to stay. And he had barely known them. He would, he would just welcome them home. He would take care of the children of, of said families as well um, as their parents went out and, and tried to find day labor. Um, and he would take care of their kids and had let them sleep over, buy them groceries. Um, I mean, it's just an extraordinary heart for people. I mean, it was, I, it was incredible. It was just incredible. Um, and he taught me one very valuable lesson. And that was the, the ethic of Christian hospitality like no other and the power to transform lives through that. See, last week or two weeks ago, I should say, we were in Matthew 25 talking about the least of these, the, the poor, the marginalized, and, um, and how we have to have a heart for them and it's evidence of the heart of Christ within us. Today, we're going to revisit that passage and we're going to revisit it, even though we don't usually do this in a series, we're going to revisit the passage because um, we believe that there's some fruit left hanging on the tree for us to pick that's going to nourish us this morning. And see, even though we talked about compassion and the evidence that it is, it's throughout the centuries in Christian history, the church, over really the last 1700 years, or really two thousand, well, up until the last 1700 years, I should say, they, um, they identified the action within compassion as Christian hospitality. That's what they identified it as. And so with that, let's go to our passage, Matthew 25. We're going to read from 31 to 46. Last time we didn't read to 46. This time we will. So we're going to get a couple extra verses there. It's going to be on the screen. It's on the app where you can follow along as well. So. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And here's Jesus saying, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, what challenging words you bring to us. Words that we read and we can't help but wonder sometimes which group we fall in. But Lord, we, um, we cling to the cross, Lord. We cling to the sacrifice that you did for us. We cling to your grace. And this morning we approach you because of that. And so even if we have faltered, even, Lord, if we have not fulfilled this, Lord, we thank you for drawing us close with a spirit of encouragement, with a spirit of love, and gently prodding us forward to be more like you. We ask that you would teach us, that you would open our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you move us to be more like the people that you have called us to be? We ask in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, this is the, the second time that we read this text publicly. And I, as I read it every time, I feel just as challenged, if not more, every time that I, that I read it. To quickly remind everybody um, exactly what's going on here, we talked a little bit more broadly about the context of this passage two weeks ago, but just a quick, brief recap. Um, this is a passage that's found at the tail end of a, of a discourse often called the Olivet Discourse. And they call it that because Jesus was teaching on the Mount of Olives. Um, and so they call it the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus' topic here in, in this section of scripture is the end times. It's his second coming. And so he's, at, he's answering those questions pertaining to that topic. And sometimes because we've read so many parables, people will often think, is this a parable 
No, this is not a parable. This is, this is literal. This is Jesus saying this is what's going to happen. It's not a parable. Jesus is actually telling us what will happen when he comes back. And so, now I think it's true kind of, you know, honing us back into the aspect of compassion within this passage. I think it's true that when we read a text like this, we see six individual acts of compassion for us to engage with. Feeding the hunger, giving drink to the thirsty, a home to the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting the prisoner. Six individual acts of compassion. And when we look to engage in these acts of compassion, what do we do? Hey, I'm going to Go to the food pantry this Saturday. I'm going to help out feed the hungry, give a, a drink to the thirsty, or I'm going to go, you know, engage with Kairos on, in prison ministry. Um, we do, we look for individual opportunities, and that's actually a really good thing, and a lot of you are already doing that, and so I would just, I would just, uh, just say, you know, the Lord is pleased with your ministry. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Now, however, the way that we see today Meeting these six needs is vastly different than how the early church read this text. Same text, just 2,000 years later, we're reading it in our context, and the early church is reading it in theirs. So, and really, what the, the cause for that is the, the shift primarily within the last 300 years of Western civilization. And so let me explain what I mean by that. I mean, think about the early church. There weren't really hospitals as we have now or hospice to take care of the, the, the extremely sick. So, which by the way, those were both Christian ideas, hospitals and, and hospice, caring for the sick. So caring for the sick, as Jesus says here, is a very different experience for Christians back then than it is for us because last time I checked, when my neighbor is extremely sick, he's not knocking at my door unless I'm a phenomenal doctor, which I'm not, um, <laughs> which I'm not. Uh, they go to the hospital. They go to the urgent care. So it's a very different experience for early Christians than it is for us. Another major factor really in these worldview differences has been the shifting of households to being much smaller and far more individualistic to the immediate family. Really, the, the household, and they, a lot of times you would have extended family all living within the same group. Um, that used to be the hub of all family life, work, religion, um, really, and social status. Uh, for some really practical examples, it was the, uh, think of it as the, the social security for the elderly and the widowed. It was the social safety net for women and children. That was all within the household. Why? Because there was no government assistance. There were no government agencies trying to feed the hungry or give water to the poor and or those who don't have or clothing. There wasn't any of uh, there wasn't any social welfare. The, the the really the dynamic between church, state, and governments were way different back then than they are now. And so it's a very different different experience for them back then and us today. But obviously, these are all very recent phenomena, right? The early Christians, um, when they saw these six acts of compassion, or they read it, and this is the main point of what we're trying to get at, because it was such a different experience, they saw these six different acts of compassion really within the umbrella of one topic, and that was hospitality. They saw everything within the lens of hospitality. 
Now, I'm not saying that the early church context is better than ours. That's not what I'm trying to say. You guys are, there's many of you doing wonderful ministry. They obviously did wonderful ministry back then. I think, though, there's something to glean from this observation. Everything within the context of hospitality. And that's what we're going to touch base today in our sermon. But, if I can just take a, a step back, I think, again, we're like, we're, we're some years removed from them, right? There's a different aspect of hospitality that, or when we think of hospitality, we think of something different or slightly different than what they thought of as hospitality. So oftentimes when we think of hospitality, I, I think of when Giselle and I were trying to buy a home, we, we fell in love with more open concept homes a couple years ago because we thought it was really conducive to inviting people over. You know, it was very easy to, to have guests and friends and family over in our house and create a hospitable environment. And so often when people come over, what do we do? You know, you would maybe grab the nicer set of dinner plates, maybe make a nice warm meal. Um, some of you are expecting an invitation to my house now. <laughs> so <laughs> gladly, as long as you like Cuban food, you're more than welcome. So, um, Maybe Giselle will decorate. She has such an eye, really, for crafting these sorts of environments. Anybody else feel like they have, like, that gift of hospitality, of crafting? I know there's some people in here because our church looks marvelous. So, and it's definitely not as a result of me. I'll tell you that for sure. Um, and so, I, I do not have that gift, actually, if I can just say. I have the gift of, like, matching things that don't match and putting things. <laughs> That's my gift. I call that my gift. And so, but oftentimes we think of being warm and welcoming to friends and family as hospitality. But while that is an aspect of hospitality, it's not fully what the early church and what the context of this passage is alluding to with reference to hospitality. Um, really, if, if there was somebody that lived 2,000 years ago that would be here today, a Christian maybe from the early church, they'd, they'd probably think that our concept of hospitality is actually a little bit watered down. It's, it's missing a little substance. Because here's what they thought hospitality was. The early church saw Christian hospitality as loving and welcoming strangers in need. Especially when they cannot repay you back. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Christian hospitality is loving and welcoming strangers in need, especially when they cannot repay you back. That's what they identified as hospitality. Isn't that incredible? Actually, the word that we often translate as hospitality from the Greek, which comes up a couple times in the New Testament, it most often referred to loving strangers. That's what they read it as, loving strangers. Now, the the interesting part, or really the, the funny part, well, I think it's funny, on our end, in our culture, is that nowadays, and I, I, I'll maybe point this to the, to the younger generation, they, it's almost a little bit awkward and, and weird to say hi to strangers. It, sometimes people feel that way, like it's uncomfortable to say hi to, to, to somebody that you don't know, or even do that. And if you don't believe me, I mean, just, have you, has anybody seen the recent progressive commercials? Anybody? I mean, what's their line? Progressive can't help you from becoming your parents. There we go. And why do they say that? Because they take concepts or values from the older generation and they kind of poke fun at it. And one of them is you, you see the, the younger people saying hi to strangers, to people they don't know. And the guy's like, hey, don't do that. That's weird. 
you know. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I love those commercials. But it, it pokes fun. Here's the philosophy behind that, right? Because the younger generation will laugh at it. And here's why. Because they've lost that value. Can I get a witness? I mean, yeah. I mean, we've lost that value. Welcome, being, being kind and courteous to, to strangers. A lot of times when I go to like Tennessee or something, these small towns, they still have that value. Don't even think about it in Miami. Lord have mercy. So... <laughs> The Lord. <laughs> you know, but according to, to Jesus and, the, and church history, really, that's followed his example, a key aspect of living out our faith, a very key aspect of living out our faith is loving the stranger, being welcoming and courteous to strangers, people whom we don't know. And, in our, and here is where the least of these comes in. The, uh, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the poor, who are more than often not strangers to us. We can also identify in that group foreigners, refugees, right? Or people in our community that, that live here in our vicinity that we just don't know. That may never be able to reciprocate our hospitality. Jesus says that's one of the most profound things that you can actually do. He's even more explicit in Luke 14, 12 to 14. Check what Jesus says here. Jesus then said to his host, he was over at one of the Pharisees' homes. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But actually, when you give a banquet, invite the poor. The crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, when you participate in this, there's a far greater reward, Jesus says, than anything that you could ever inherit here on this earth. And so why do you want to make hospitality, Christian hospitality, a value in your life? Why do you want to welcome strangers? Well, I'll give you two reasons. Firstly, because practicing hospitality is going to grow your soul. It's going to grow your soul. At COH, at Community of Hope, we make a big, big emphasis on spiritual growth. Actually, it's, it's the tail end of our mission statement. We want to interest, interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and grow together, grow together into fully devoted followers of him. Spiritual growth. And one of the ways that we often identify that as we would read our Bibles, right? We journal. We, we, uh, we pray. A lot of times we think of these spiritual disciplines, these things that would grow our faith as private disciplines. But what if I told you that we can't stop there and Jesus is calling us to do something on the outside, something a little bit less private to grow our faith? Those are great things, prayer, journaling, and, uh, and scripture reading. You can't forfeit that, but you also can't forfeit Practicing hospitality and loving the stranger. It's a spiritual discipline and it's one of the most profound ways that you can actually connect with the Lord. Drawing on this truth, James says this in James 2, 14 and 17. Check out what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have deeds? Hmm? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but does not do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's just dead, James says. When I think of this passage, it, it reminds me, reminds me of a, of a moment when I was in Cuba on a missions trip at this man's house named Israel. We were in the western sector of Cuba and we didn't have a place to stay and he, he invited us and the rest of, of our team, about five of us, to his home. And I remember, um, he didn't know us from Adam. He didn't know us at all. And we, we were practically strangers to him. And I remember at nighttime, he, he called us. And he said, hey, why don't you come to my bedroom? I went, we went to his bedroom and they had no central AC. Pretty much none of them, none of the homes do. And most they had was a little box AC in the window. And that was the only room, his bedroom, with an AC, with an air conditioner. And he said, I want you to sleep in my bedroom. I said, what? You want to sleep in your bedroom? What about you? He's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep on the, my wife and I are going to sleep on the floor. He would not have it. He demanded that we sleep in his room with the air conditioner. And I look back at that moment and it was the dead hot summer in Cuba. So muggy, flies everywhere. And he was sleeping on the floor of his living room. And we were sleeping in his bed with air conditioner. That is Christian hospitality, my friends. Just the compassion that overflowed from his heart. And he was so happy. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't easy, but he did it. So it grows your soul. But lastly, practicing hospitality pushes back against darkness. It pushes back against the darkness of this world. Hospitality. Christian hospitality is a spiritual weapon, my friends. It's a spiritual weapon that we use. It's how Jesus' followers resisted evil emperors in the early days of their ministry. It's actually just how we mentioned maybe a couple months ago how Martin Luther King fought against racial segregation through hospitality, through loving his enemies. And it's actually how Jesus' followers resisted Nazis in World War II Quite literally, there was this little town in France, and I've practiced this about 20 times. So, Les Chambons sur Lignon. It was this little town in France that was committed to showing hospitality to Jews. Only about 3,000 people in this town, occupied by Germany. But because of this small 3,000 person town welcoming strangers, they saved thousands, if not thousands, of Jews. It was something incredible, and they're really a, a moral witness to us about how welcoming strangers in need can, can fight against darkness. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up at this time. Um, it was a moral witness to them and to us to fight back using a Jesus weapon. You see, we as Christians, we have to be willing to fight, not as the world fights, but as Jesus fought with hospitality, with loving our enemies, with welcoming the stranger. And so if you want to enhance your spiritual life, you want to grow spiritually, if you want to push back against the darkness in this world, you want to break down barriers in our society, you want to do that, practice hospitality. Welcome the stranger. Have compassion. Let it overflow. Let it not just be at your home, which we talked about, let it not just be at church, which we're already doing and many of you are already doing, but let it be a value and an ethic 
that you live on a day-to-day basis. Look for the least of these in your context. Look for the stranger and have compassion. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Jesus, we are um, humbled by the fact that you had so much compassion. Something that we're going to celebrate in just a couple weeks on Good Friday. That you died on the cross for our sins. Lord, we just, um, we ask that you would help us to reciprocate that compassion that you've given us to give it to others. As Paul states, you are the father of all compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our need, not so that we can retain it, but so that we can comfort others in their pain. We thank you for the heart that you've put in our church, for the least of these. And Lord, would you just move us as we go out into our communities to love the stranger, to love the least of these, and to be your hands and feet. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. This time, would you stand? Let's worship our Lord as we close out our service. As we close, I'd like to share just one more brief story. There was another church in southern France during World War II that actually had a statue of Jesus. And with the bombings, there was an incident where actually the hands of the statue of Jesus were cut off. And they insisted on, some insisted on repairing it, but there was a large group that actually prevailed and said, we'd like to leave it with the hands broken to remind us that, there, that Jesus has no hands on this earth but yours. Would you just take a moment of a, a posture of prayer? Perhaps close your eyes and extend your hand and, and receive this, this benediction in light of, of that. Christ has no body on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. It is your eyes through which Christ's compassion looks out to the world, your feet with which he must walk about doing good, your hands with which he blessed humanity, your voice with which his forgiveness is spoken, and your heart with which he now loves. Church, would you go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus and have compassion on the people of our city and our community? Would you go and be his people? Amen. We'll see you next week. God bless.